This week on Invasion, the podcast, Star Wars picks the most obvious name ever. We put on our favorite Halloween masks, fix ourselves a drink, and watch Halloween 3. And I have Kevin come up with some unconventional sequels. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Dark masks, gather round your TV set, put on your masks, and watch. All witches, all skeletons, all jack-o'-lanterns. The third gather commercial, it's still on, please. Watch Take off the third out. channel, the third channel, it's still running. Stop it, please, for God's sake, please stop it. It's the invasion of the podcast. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we're trying to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul Misfire. Stedman. And to my left is Kevin. Robots are full of orange juice and watch parts. Hornsby. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on, Paul. Yeah. So you guys may may know Kevin as my co-host on uh, Strange Highways, and he's, he's jumping in tonight because uh, I asked him to come talk about a scary movie, and I mentioned Halloween 3, and they just showed up at my house. Like, that's what happened. Like, he was knocking at the door already, and I was like, oh, it's next week. It's so, usually, usually what happens. Halloween yeah. 3 is, uh, in October, one of my favorite go-tos. And even in my movie room, I have a whole wall on my uh, closet. Well, I guess my door to my closet has uh, all three Halloween masks yeah. printed on it. So, so I figured I asked the right, per- the right person to talk about this film. So, uh, but one thing I got to do here, real quick, is that normally we don't, we're on Strange Highways. We talk about uh, Twilight Zone, so we're always broadcasting in black and white. Let me let me fix that. We're in color now, so that you guys, so just don't worry. The rest of this episode will be in color, not in black and white. That took a long time. <laughs> I mean, it, the, going from color to black and white is real fast, but going from black and white to color, you got to get it, got to get it going. Um, is it like Technicolor? You got a color in the frames? Or? <laughs> yeah, like we're we're really bright now. Like um, I'm wearing a right, like a red ascot that's just bleeding. Um, uh, so I just just real quick, I have to mention. Uh, just, I was at work a couple days ago getting a coffee, and I have a Spider-Man coffee mug, like a larger one, and I because it's Spider-Man, and I, I, I'm minding my own business, and a coworker comes up, she's like, "Oh, like Spider-Man?" I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "I don't like him," and I'm like, "What? What? Like, <laughs> it's like, like that's like coming to be like, hey." You're ugly. Like what? Like where is that coming from? And I was just this, like, "This is the age of the internet we live in." I, I looked at her. I was just like, "What?" I was like, "I like Spider Man," and she's like, "Oh, I, I like Batman." I want to be like, "You're one of those people." But she actually had a Batman uh, tattoo on her wrist, and like um, that's buyer's remorse. I said it. Um, but she's like, "Yeah," she's like, "I like the Adam West Batman." I'm like, "That that's fine." So you like Goofy Batman, but you don't like Spider Man? Like I feel like he has jokes. He has ridiculous villains. I don't. I don't understand like the random just like I don't like that. Like I just felt really. Uh, I was really. It it set my Monday off on a weird like. Did she just say she's like Spider Man? Like I didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah, who does it? I I mean that's what we run into now on Facebook when you comment something and people take time out of their day to be like I don't like it. It's like well thank you thank <laughs> yeah. you for stopping and telling me that. <laughs> yeah, it was just, that's really weird. It was weird and it's just I I feel like. I mean, I know I've talked on the show a lot that I'm more of a Marvel guy than I am DC, but I just wouldn't go to somebody and be like, 
Batman's stupid and like toss their desk and walk away. It was, maybe it you was, should. Maybe I should. There's enough. There's enough Batman fans that work around me that I, I might get like a bat ganged up or something. I don't know. But it was just a weird, so weird get a moment. Battering thrown at you randomly <laughs> yeah. throughout the day. I was feeling like, like, uh, like they'll open up a, a a capsule of Paul removal gas or something like out of their bat belt, like sp- oddly specific, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was weird. I just didn't know how to feel about that. So I just drank my coffee. I just, I just all I could do. But yeah, ran- I, uh, you'll appreciate my mug at work is a Django coffee mug. Mm, that's perfect that's yeah. awesome since it is the year of the westerns for you like <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more later because i now because you know th- i will mention that later when we get to the blog i have some questions sure um but yeah I, I, do, with your django mug do you like do you have stare downs with people like do you go and get your coffee if someone's standing there do you just stare at them until they walk away do all you- the time <laughs> you know a funny thing happened though i was uh i was making some coffee the other day and somebody came up and they're like huh franco nero i, I don't like franco nero I like Clint yeah. Eastwood. <laughs> yeah, right. That's exactly. And they're like, "Here's my Clint Eastwood tattoo yeah. right here." Yeah, I see. man. <laughs> if if somebody at my work had a Clint Eastwood uh, tattoo on their wrist, I would be best friends with them forever. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that would be that'd be fair. But now that I know there's the Batman tattoo out there, like, I mean, it doesn't match my Spider-Man tramp stamp that I have, but it's the same thing. But anyway, that just felt very appropriate for the show. So let's just do, let's just get to some news. <laughs> good news everyone i seem to have deafened kevin i'm sorry i didn't mean to do that with my with my good news okay. <laughs> yeah 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 I, I what did you say yeah right uh <laughs> I, I'm used to it. Maybe I'm just now I'm, I am now deaf. But uh, so first thing to mention here, it's not really big news, but it's just news anyway, because it's Star Wars. And so Ron Howard announced the name of his Han Solo movie. It is called Solo, a Star Wars story. And I, I think that they missed the opportunity to do a <laughs> a solo Star Wars story. I figured that would be a better title. Because then it would fit. It's like because it's a standalone story. I feel like that's a little, little too punny. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I, I don't know what else you'd call it, but that feels like the the most like bland name you can come up with for a movie. I kind of like it. <laughs> that I guess. I mean, I don't I, know. I'm I'm the wrong person. I I still haven't seen Rogue One. So. Um, yeah, I just. I, it's uh, the whole idea that the chap, the non-chapter movies are called Star Wars stories, are, are, is fine. It, it seems a little pretentious to be like it's a Star Wars story. It's like we know, like yeah, you know, yeah. Pretty sure there's a Millennium Falcon. I don't think it's a Transformers movie. I I just feel like they're they're going to go safe, safe, safe with this because they kicked the other directors off and they brought Ron Howard in. Which I don't have anything against Ron Howard. I'm just trying to think. I don't. I don't. When I think of Ron Howard, I don't think of anything stylistically that makes me think of Ron Howard. No. I, I, I mean, there's movies of his that I, I like a great deal, but there's not like that. Oh, that's the Ron Howard moment. Other than that was a pleasantly okay film. That's the Ron Howard moment. Yeah, because the one coming out this December, um, whatever it is, episode is, isn't that directed by uh, the Looper director? Yeah, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, who is a phenomenal director. And uh, not saying Ron Howard isn't, but Ryan Johnson, you can see a direct correlation to his filmmaking to lending itself well to Star Wars. Yeah, I, I just so, yeah, the, that's a great point. That's it's weird. Has Ron Howard directed the science? Well, he did Cocoon, but that's not really. He also he did uh, in the Heart not. of the Sea last 
summer. Yeah, I mean, or two I, summers ago with did, uh, Moby Dick uh, and Thor. Kinda, yeah, yeah. Um, right. so. and he did the F one movie with uh, Thor as well, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, that was actually a really good movie. Um, but I, I mean, I'm not saying he's not capable of doing action. I just I don't know if I've seen him do like science fiction. But then again, Star Wars is kind of they they have a style, and I think that as long as he has the camera pointed the right direction, they're going to force that Star Wars style in there. Yeah, he's a good storyteller, so I, I I think I think he'll do a fine job. Yeah. Um. So Harrison Ford's not going to be in that one. <laughs> no, <laughs> I wouldn't it be great if they did like the whole de aging thing with like the CG and just had him running around just playing a young himself and just like have like have like the mocap suit on with all the little little dots on him. Or if uh, they just didn't de age him and we all just pretend that he's young again. <laughs> I would like that a great deal. Um, just uh, speaking of uh, de- not de aging, I not to get into the year of the Western w- w- watching. The man who shot Liberty Valance, there's a character that's supposed to be a teenager in that, that they keep like saying, you're too young to vote. And at one point he gets a sucker slapped out of his hand. That actor was 50 years old. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Like this, he just, he looked, you know, he looked a little young, but he didn't look 15. But for some reason they kept treating him like he was a 16 year old kid. And it's, but he was 50. And I, I mean, I guess he was young compared to Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne in that movie, but it was like really it was it was weird having suspension them treat- of disbelief. Uh, yeah, right? and so yeah. A- apparently you just weren't that into the movie then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fifty year old. If that's going to bother kid, you, I guess yeah. you weren't really into the story. Yeah, at that point, yeah, you're right. That, that I was just like, nope. You're I, nitpicking. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yes, I do nitpick. Um, I which I thought about this today. Uh, this is the year in which we have a Ridley Scott alien film, a Ridley Scott produced sequel to Blade Runner. And there is a, a really well-respected, uh, you know, film version of Stephen King's It in the theater. This should be my year. And I felt kind of cold to all of them for, like, it was it was good. Blade Runner was good. What was good? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, capital I-N-T was good. Um, it, they were both good movies, but they didn't leave me, like, in love. And then Alien Covenant just pissed me off. And I and it makes me makes me wonder if I'm broken because you say I nitpick. I wonder if it's because of doing this show and then and Strange Highways that where we sometimes some of those episodes are not the best, but we try to apply the context of it. Of the Twilight Zone being in the, the, the late early sixties, I should say. So then sometimes I feel like we give more credit where maybe it shouldn't be because of this of its time. But I also wonder if if, if I'm just starting to break my own ability to enjoy something because I'm constantly looking at it. And I don't know if that's if if I'm starting to just not like everything. Well, I would think rewatches would probably help you out with that, because a lot of times I go into things, and we'll talk about uh, expectations versus reality. I'm sure with uh, this Halloween three discussion, <laughs> and uh, I, I think stuff I haven't seen Blade Runner, but uh, if it's anything like the original, it took me a few viewings to really appreciate that. That's fair, and it- I I think. And it, I think, it could be the same thing. So yeah, we'll that's, that's fair too. I um, Blade Runner. I was even listening to the soundtrack at work, the score, because it's Hans Zimmer and um, oh shoot, I don't know who else, but and they have some of the Vangelis or Van Vangelis, Vangelis. Oh, they, <laughs> they 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 bring some of that in a little bit, and it's a phenomenal soundtrack, and it's it's amazing. And so I, I there's a lot I love about it. But then like I now have coworkers that have seen it. They're like, "What do you think?" And I'm like, "It's okay." And they're like, "What?" Like they're knocked on their ass and they're looking at me like you should be just a, pu- a puddle of goo, you know, because how much you talk about this stuff. Yeah, I-, I don't know. I just I just wonder. Maybe it's because I feel like there is 
the expectation that I have to go watch this stuff because I because for me I want to I want to like examine it on the show or whatever and, and dig into it. So I don't know if I always go because I want to go. I feel like I have to go, and maybe that isn't always the best viewing experience. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I I picked up a uh, copy of the Philip K. Dick story, uh, Electric. Um, what was it? Um, do Android do Android stream of Electric Sheep. I picked that book up, and my idea was three months ago I was going to read the book rewatch the film because it's been like good seven years since i've seen it <clears throat> excuse me and uh i was gonna get caught up with all that stuff and uh be ready by the time the sequel came out i've done none of that <laughs> and now i feel like i can't see the movie until i revisit that like i'd be okay skipping the book for now and going back later yeah um, this winter and reading it but um yeah I, it's just killing me because dennis villeneuve or however you pronounce his name i, I, I think never you say i think it. you pronounce it dennis I don't. I'm joking. <laughs> well, yeah, Denny Denny Villeneuve. I yeah. think it's pronounced. But uh, his his directing style is so up my alley. Like Sicario, I was blown away with. Um, I, I was a really big fan of Arrival last year. Um, even before that, Emmy Enemy uh, <laughs> with Jake Gyllenhaal and yeah, uh, Prisoners, talk, really fantastic. All four of those I need to see, and I've not seen any other. The only movie of his I've seen is Blade Runner, and Arrival sounds like it's right up my alley. I just haven't gotten to it. You yeah, know? It, it's and, an interesting film. I prefer Sicario just for I, I love hard boiled crime films, and uh, it, it's kind of akin to something like the first season of True Detective. Okay. It just goes to some really dark places. Um, not the same places, obviously, but uh, his his visual style is I, it's unrivaled right now as far as like big Hollywood directors. And he came from a place that's really respectable, like really doing like these strange, independent, almost art house sci-fi films. And now he's getting like carte blanche to just do whatever he wants with Blade Runner. Like that's insane. In in what you said, art house science fiction film. That's what this like. I, I again, that's not taking away from that movie. Um, and it's definitely not you know a solo Star Wars movie, um, which was what the story was that we we're talking about originally. Um, but it, it just. I, I can't wait for you to watch it because I do just want to talk to you. I want to watch it again. Um, I, I did get the opportunity to watch the original Blade Runner before, like that morning before watching the film. So, because I, I, I don't know, I'll watch that movie like once a year. Like, I, I love the final cut of Blade Runner. It's not a perfect film, but I love it. And I know that you'll forgive a lot of things because of the visual and the atmosphere as opposed to not necessarily and, always the story. And Ryan Gosling. And, and Ryan Gosling, <laughs> yeah. And and I feel like that I can already tell you that a lot of the things I want to raise to you being like, I'm frustrated with this. You're going to be like, yeah, but did you see this? Like, <laughs> you're going to be like, what about this? And what about well, this moment? And it's going to be like, yeah. I don't know yeah. if it was uh, Steve who was on the last episode, which uh, he did a phenomenal job last week. Um, I think he posted on your Facebook post about Blade Runner. And he said, Ryan Gosling walking slowly. Oh, that was Rich. Or, uh, I think okay, that was Rich's was wife. She was like, Ryan Gosling, uh, atmosphere, walking slowly, storm clouds or something. And you're like, I'm in. I actually haven't watched the trailer. I, I've been at this weird place where I don't watch trailers, really, that, like that, at all. Okay, well, that's good. Um, um, I, I went into it pretty much blind, only seeing like a TV spot for it. Okay. Um, I, I, I've been doing that quite a bit recently, and it's so rewarding going in with like no preconceived notions of what something's going to be. And it's so hard to do now because every time you turn around, 
it, you just get another version of a trailer. You get people talking about it. And I, I just, I've, I've been not watching the Stranger Things trailers just after the initial yeah, one. They put I out, saw the initial one. And, and, and then that it. that's it. Yeah. Um, have you seen the billboards around Cleveland with Stranger Things? No. There's one right by the football stadium and there's another one when you go further east. And it's it's just them on their bikes looking out on the horizon with all the like the crazy stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I never, th- not to get too distracted and I know I'm all over the place. I never thought I'd see uh, a billboard for a Netflix show that's a period piece about science fiction horror. Like Starring be- all kids. kids. Yeah. I mean, that does tie into the next story. But yeah, anyway, Han Solo movie, great. I hope it's okay. I, I just, I really, really wonder if we needed it. And I also wonder, like, it feels like people are just like, well, what about this character? What about this character? I don't know if we need all these prequel Star Wars stories. Like, Yeah, like- I, you know, I grew up being a huge Star Wars fan with the original trilogy, like everybody did. And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I honestly, I saw the uh, episode seven and I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. I just came to the realization that they're not making these movies for me anymore. That's fair. Yeah. Like it, they, yeah. it, we've gotten to this weird point with these Hollywood blockbusters just trying to shatter uh, records and everything. And it comes to the point where you have to make films that are for everyone. And that's not what I go to the movies for. And they're not really hitting like they're not hitting the same marks for me that they used to. Yeah, I, I I don't know if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. Like I like you, when you have to appease everyone. Like there's going to be little things that work for me, but as a whole, it's just it's always going to end up being okay for the most part. And it's it's funny you're you're talking about the theater experience and how the way people are now going. It is because of these big blockbusters because they know those are the ones that are going to hit, and that seems to be the trend now. Is like get the big stuff in there, and then you have maybe some smaller quieter films that. You know, should like twenty years ago should have been like right alongside these releases, but they're not being put in theaters because they're you know you have Star Wars, you have all the Marvel films, you have all that like crowding that out, and yeah. so then you get to awards time and everyone's like, oh wait, these movies exist, and that's yeah. how it's like. I I have not seen Moonlight. I know you saw Moonlight. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's one that when it came out, I got critical acclaim, so people talked about it, but it could have easily just been like off to the side, like oh well, this is a really good character piece. Oh, but does it have robots? You know, like so. Yeah, um, it, it's just hard to. I don't. I don't know. I. I personally find it hard to be excited about something that's just. It's made for a blanket audience. That's just everybody. You know, it it's like for kids, for adults, and yeah. a lot of times it's just not done smoothly. Like I think Pixar does it the best. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> like, I, well, I, with their good ones, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I feel like Marvel. Like I, I'm really excited for Thor Ragnarok, but it's one of those ones that basically it is for everybody, but I'm excited for it. Yeah. Uh, I really, really liked Guardians too. I liked both Guardians movies. And well, that's coming from, you know, I'm a big fan of James Gunn and I know we're uh, way off, of, off eh. track here. Well, well, we went Star Wars, now we're going to Guardians of the Galaxy, so I feel like that's going yeah. perfectly fine. But that's James Gunn and uh, I, I he's somebody who has similar into, interest to like what I'm into, so he's hitting closer to what i'm looking for in a film than say i don't know who directs the other ones but <laughs> see, exactly um yeah so anyway uh, star wars that's that uh, i'm sure it'll be mentioned again later uh next next story real quick uh it kind of ties into stranger things and actually it does uh nielsen believes they figured out how to crack what um netflix numbers are 
when people watch a show. There is a caveat with that, though, is that they only know about screens. They don't know about mobile. They don't know how to track like phones and, and tablets. But they're starting to get some ideas of how these shows do. And I know, where was it? Um, they said something along the lines that like... Uh, um, like the Defenders, like uh, when that came out, the Marvel show with uh, the four heroes, sorry, three heroes and Iron Fist. Um, they like they, they said that was averaging about like what a mid, a, like a mid TV range would be in terms of viewership, which is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said then they talked about like they had some averages like of a show like that. Um, the first day, most people binge four episodes. Like they're starting to figure out numbers, but Netflix is saying those numbers aren't right, but they're not giving their numbers. So I'm like, I don't understand why they don't want to release their numbers unless it's an issue of once the creators know how their shows are doing, that would then give them leverage to ask for more money. I feel like that's the only thing. Yeah. So Yeah, I, something fishy going on there. <laughs> but I mean, like, so you you have Netflix, right? Yeah. And do you have Hulu? Uh no, only in the winter. Okay. Um But now that they got rid of Criterion Collection, I think I'm out. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I just for we have Hulu because of the broadcast. Like, yeah, Fox and their other like they're always the next day. And I have cable still, so I just DVR things I watch on regular TV. So, and I know Nielsen can track that. And I know (laughs) with Hulu, um, they were trying to incorporate the data of like uh, like broadcast plus seven, meaning was this watch within seven days of broadcast, kind of show that people are current with these shows. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's some shows out there that may not do so well on broadcast just because people are waiting for it to go to streaming. And I feel like that's where the CW's numbers all are, is that everybody's like, <laughs> I can't watch five superhero shows in one night, but I can watch them over the course of a week. Yeah, well, I, I know I'll just let some TV shows go, even on my DVR, and then watch them after it's all done the same way. Yeah, like I, uh, I, I worry that Last Man on Earth, I'm going to end up killing by accident because I haven't gotten to it since it's like <laughs> since it's been back. There's like three episodes. I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it. It's not going to get renewed because of me. I can I can just feel it. It's all your fault. <laughs> I've never watched it, so it's, oh, it's, it's, it's also really, my fault. Yeah, it's really good. Um, but I, I I feel like this is. I mean, not that I need Nielsen like telling us how things go, but I also feel like this is a good start of the barometer to show. The streaming content can stand against broadcast, which we've known that we just couldn't quantify it, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like that because I mean, how everybody gets their entertainment in so many different ways. I don't want a show to go away just because I happen to watch it on my phone versus watching it on my TV. I haven't had cable in years and it's still, we have Netflix, we have Hulu. Um, I am borrowing someone's WWE network. I am borrowing someone's Amazon prime. Uh, those people are borrowing our Netflix and Hulu. Um, and <laughs> well, we, yeah. I'll tell you the, uh, the main reason I keep a cable is because of Monday Night Raw. Well, Hulu has it the next day. Oh, I don't want to watch it the next day. <laughs> but that's, then you can watch is... it the next day at your leisure as opposed to, and you can fast forward it pretty easily. You don't have to stay up and watch it. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, that's fair. It's I, been... <laughs> um, I, I, that's my Monday Night Ritual. It's been that for years, and uh, I, I cannot break it. And I pay an ungodly amount of money for cable a month just so I can watch terrible uh wrestling once a week <laughs> yeah i so i that's the there are things about cable i miss but i, I think that i can have access most of the things that that i yeah. want that and lucha underground on el ray i because that's kind of hard to watch that that's yeah. kind of hard to get a hold of uh legally streaming yeah i mean i know the f- the first few seasons are now on netflix but which i still need to watch i i, I always say that you guys should take a drink because i feel like i say that every episode there's so much out there that i'm like yeah i'll get to it uh, but 
I but with streaming though, I feel like and I know Netflix will immediately announce that something gets picked up for the next season, like within like a week or two of it coming out. Mm-hmm. I just I, I just I would like to know how well something's doing because also like you maybe there might be something out there that I'm on the bulb about even starting if I don't know if it's going to stick around, which is kind of counterintuitive because if I'm not supporting it to start, do I really want to get you know like yeah. support it? Because um, I think people are really worried about Westworld the first couple episodes. Like, is this going to be good? Because I don't want to give in to the Game of Thrones thing here and then find out it's not coming back ever. Yeah. Um, well, I I can recommend uh, Mine Hunter on Netflix right now. Oh, is it's, that good? It's really oh, good. Yeah, that's, that's I'm about halfway through. That's I'm the David it. Fincher. Did he direct in the episodes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's about the sewer killers. Yeah. That's I want to. Yeah. Wanna it's that. it's a FBI guy kind of bringing in. Uh, um, it, it, he he's doing more psychology in with the hunting these serial killers okay. and stuff and he's like the first one that starts doing it it's it takes place in like the so he's changing the way that they approach yeah okay. yeah so because everyone else is like no nah, people don't work like that you know and he's like no we have to study them <laughs> so like the first couple episodes i don't know if it goes throughout the whole thing he's talking to a guy who's playing ed kemper in jail okay and the guy just nails it hmm. he, it's so creepy it's it's great I do, i've got to watch that fincher does true crime real well too he so. does uh, Zodiac, underrated. That yeah, was a definitely. really good film. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, speaking of David Fincher, uh, and the, this is actually a good transition to the next story because um, I was thinking of David Fincher, uh, directed Seven. Uh, Andrew Kevin Walker is set to script uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, like the the I guess the Paramount version of this. You know more about Lone Wolf and Cub than I do. Yeah. Um, you said it's like one of your like you enjoy. Like, did you read the books or did you just know the movies? Um, I, I've read some of the comics, uh, mangas. Excuse me. I, I've uh, <laughs> judged. Yeah. I know. I, I don't want to make anyone upset. But what uh, per, person's like, no, off. Done. I know. <laughs> um, I've read some of them and I really enjoy them. But I'm a huge fan of the series. Uh, Criterion last year put out a fantastic box set of all uh, five films. I believe it is. Um, really, really great series. I'm worried about an American adaptation of that because it's inherently a very Japanese story. Um, well, we got Justin Lin directing it, which that's the, he, he's a competent director. I can't say he's not now. Like I, I haven't watched, I hear, I've never seen a fast and furious movie and I'm, I can go to the grave being okay with that. Um, but I, I did watch I either. So. Yeah. I did watch star Trek beyond. And even though it still kind of looked like an Abrams movie, he brought some kind of like, I don't want to say speed, but there was definitely there was some fun to it that he brought. So he can competently make a movie. I just don't know if he has a style yeah, because I haven't seen his later like his later Fast and Furious movies. I also don't feel like, hey, here's this really treasured manga about a relationship with a father and son and this really deeply Japanese story and like honor and tradition. Oh, you did movies where cars hit each other a lot. Yeah, you should direct that. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but Andrew Kevin Walker, I haven't heard him doing anything in a long time. Yeah, I can't think of anything. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's one of those things. I'm gonna have to reserve judgment until I see any anything else. I I have a feeling this will never make it to screen. Maybe I yeah. I just have a I have a weird suspicion about this one. It's taken them. I I think I read the article, the same one you had brought up. Um, that it took them years to even get the rights to do the screenplay for it. So I I don't know. I Especially with all the stuff about Hollywood whitewashing uh, Japanese culture recently, uh, especially with like Ghost in the Shell. I don't know how much you guys got into that when that we, came we, out. Not really at all, because it's just one of those things. It's like, how do you... 
how do you dig in to some? I mean, like a couple of white guys talking about whitewashing. It's hard to be like, yeah, you know exactly. what? I have a I have a passionate point about that. It's like I don't know, you know, and yeah, and, I, I don't know either. But it, I don't know. Lone Wolf and Cub was really popular. I mean, it they made a TV series that went on for a long time in Japan as well, and they, it, it's just I, did the baby to stay a baby the entire time. I was hoping <laughs> yeah. that'd be like that'd be great. Where it's like six years on, the kid's still the same size. Like the kid is incredible in the films, but I I, I just think it's gonna be weird. I I'm I'm worried it's gonna turn in. What was that uh, recent? Uh, well, wasn't the Tom Hanks Road to Perdition kind of that? Yeah, it was okay. It was loosely based on that story. And, uh, I feel like now with, with a lot of box office gross coming from overseas and Japan that this will get made and they're going to incorporate probably some known Japanese actors in it to get that, that box office draw. But you're right. This is that that this is their story. You don't want to go putting Keanu Reeves in the lead of this. Yeah, that and I I think they've learned their lesson. And they're getting better because like even Ghost in the Shell had some uh, genre Japanese actors mm-hmm. in that film that was really excited to see when I saw the trailer. I still haven't seen Ghost in the Shell, so I think they're getting closer. So like I said, it, it's hard. It I mean we've seen nothing of this. So well, I mean, like, I mean, I know that this is not a problem that's going to solve itself immediately. There was the one guy who stepped away from Hellboy, the new one being made, because his character, the character he's playing is Japanese. Mm-hmm. I think Japanese. I, I apologize if I don't have the right area right. But he, um, oh, what was his name? Ed Screen, the guy who was the bad guy in Deadpool. Oh, okay. He was the one cast in that role. And he's like, I didn't realize that that was the background. He's like, I was just playing a character. So he's like, I'm going to step away. And then they brought in, um, oh, who did they bring in? They, uh, not um, not BD Wong, but they brought in somebody else. It's like that's a good call. Like, and it was like yeah. the right, the right. Like, okay, that makes more sense, you know. And the fact that for them to be like, you know what, you know, you guys are right. That's a good call. But even and not to get too much into it, but watching these westerns from like you know nineteen <laughs> like the fifties and sixties, you, you you see all these uh, these actors. You're like, you're supposed to be the head of a, a Mexican gang. You're not Mexican whatsoever. Like it's just like some of the actors yeah. that are being pulled. It's like, oh. Wow, like <laughs> so, it's it. It's always going to be a problem. I just think that something like this, you don't want to go messing it up because then also if you're Paramount, you're not going to be able to make any more movies because people aren't going to want to go see it if you yeah. don't do it right. So, but Andrew Kevin Walker, like he wrote, he wrote seven, he wrote eight millimeter, which is one of those ones that I don't know how. Um, what's his face, the director? Uh, shoot. Um, Batman Forever director. That's the same oh, guy. Joel Schumacher. I don't know how he made that movie the way he made that movie because Joel Schumacher, for a guy a guy that makes trash, he makes some actually really good movies sometimes, and I yeah. don't understand. He's he's one of those enigmas to me. Like, how do you do that? Like, because Eight Millimeter is actually a really good movie. It's yeah. messed Lost up. Boys. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it's just so like. And Kevin Walker wrote that. He also wrote uh, the the remake, uh, the Sleepy Hollow one with uh, Johnny oh. Depp. Yeah, and I don't know what else he's done, but I've I've liked all of those. And yeah. um, so, good luck. At least you got a competent, like known, good scriptwriter in there. It isn't like you're bringing in, um, uh, yeah, at, like the guys that do the Transformers movies or there anything. There is so many storylines to this character. Um, it, you have you have so much to pick from to make a good story. Okay, well, good. Hopefully, so, they'll get it right. So, yeah, um, that's why I said it, it. It's hard when you see news stories like this come out so early. It's like. All right, somebody's signed on to write the screenplay. 
Yeah, it's like, it, 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 that's the way news works now, where it's like someone opened a book and looked at it. It's like, yeah. I don't know, are they getting cast? Or maybe somebody, they like it. Somebody sat down over drinks and said, yeah, I'd write that screenplay. Yeah. And, and then you think about like uh, the history of like when you read about films that you love, how like Blade Runner, just to, like how that went from what it was to end up being that movie is a completely different journey. So could you imagine Hollywood reporting back then being like, oh, there's this really good black market medical device drama coming. And it's like, <laughs> can't wait for it. It's called Blade Runner. And then to, like two years later, okay, well, we didn't get that right. But now it's about robots, kind of. like, and, and, and the name means nothing in the movie. Like, yeah. So anyway. Um, I, I was thinking uh, last episode I was listening to this. Uh, we should make a movie called Knife Jogger. <laughs> <laughs> like we should pitch yeah. it to asylum entertainment oh and, uh, no they'd say yes yeah oh, yeah they, they, no they'll do something called blade gunner or something and be like oh i, I like knife jogger knife jogger <laughs> it's like you know then you could just make a slasher film but then make the cover look like blade runner yes <laughs> it would just be the slaughter uh, guy in like like a hoodie and there's like some rain yeah. it's just dark out <laughs> adidas jumpsuit oh. tracksuit. <laughs> you you don't realize how close you are to what we're going to do at the end of the show as you are right now i love it I like it. Uh, knife jogger. Uh -oh. All right. So let's, so let's go from that great idea to an amazing idea, which is Halloween 3. And now for our feature presentation. So I guess I should just start off with, like, you you were really excited to talk about this movie. You you said you watch it every year. Like, why is this one you come back to all the time? Um, well, it, it's it's pretty simple, to be honest. They capture the atmosphere of Halloween for me. Uh, extremely well and it, it it's just one of those movies every october it's like one of the first things that pops in my head i changed my ringtone to the uh halloween countdown song and uh i i don't know it was it was one of those ones i didn't necessarily like the first couple times i saw it and it grew on me and after hearing the background of the film and everything which i'm sure we'll get into here yeah um it, it just my viewpoint on it like softened and softened to the point where now I legitimately love this film. <laughs> so, I guess just watching it every year, forcing myself to go through the Halloween movies in October, it just eventually, uh, I guess the song uh, played long enough that it just brainwashed <laughs> it just me into got loving stuck it. In your head, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just I when when I admit, pitched the idea of doing underrated sequels. For October, I know I talked to you specifically about it. You gave me like a list of six, and this was one of them. And I think maybe I even mentioned it to you because we knew we knew Tom Atkins was going to be coming similar wasteland. And I'm like, how can you not think of Halloween three and with Tom Atkins sitting there, the guy who was starring in the movie? Mm -hmm. And I was excited to get back to this because I watched it as a kid, and I there was <laughs> the things I remember are the pumpkin mask doing bad things to the ginger. I remembered that distinctly. Yeah, and can, for some who reason, can forget that. Yeah, I really, I for some reason, I thought all of Stonehenge was in that building. I don't know why. I was like, wait, there's more to this, right? Like, that's not how I remembered it. So that's all I really remembered about the movie. And then, of course, the the flashing like commercial yeah. and the song. So I was really excited to get back to this. And, and we'll talk about the history. I feel that some context is really important to discuss this movie. Um, because just like last week, we're talking to Steve with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, knowing that Toby Hooper was pretty much like, I want to make a comedy and Cannon's like, we want a horror film. He's like, I'm going to make a comedy and Cannon wasn't happy with it. And people are like, I don't know what this is. That was a, a hard veer from Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. This is a hard veer from the first two Halloween movies, Yeah, but it's not, it's not under the same reasons. 
So, um, so yeah, let's give a little bit of context. Yeah. So John Carpenter, uh, initially when he penned the first Halloween, uh, Michael Myers was supposed to stay dead at the end of that film. And his idea was each year he was going to do another Halloween film with a, uh, Michael Myers is back. He doesn't want to talk about it. (laughs) Uh Oh, he just came out of the back of the ambulance. (laughs) Um, yeah, so he wanted to do each year a different story based around Halloween. And after the massive success that was the first Halloween, they said, no, uh, you're going to make a Halloween too. So they kind of forced him into doing the second Michael Myers, uh, forced him, you know, that paycheck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and he's notoriously said that he wasn't a big fan of, uh, I, I, I think recently with the news of the new one, of making uh, Laurie Strode and... Yeah, uh, Michael Myers. I think you guys talked about that. You we guys did. touched on the series last week. He wasn't necessarily a big fan of the second screenplay. Man, I I know, back. I know. It's just, I live on a street that's right by a fire station, <laughs> and if it's not crickets, it's ambulances and fire trucks. So yeah, anyway. so he wasn't that big of a fan of the second one. And uh, after the second one came out, it was kind of critically panned. I don't know how the public perception of the film was afterwards or reception was, but. A lot of critics did not enjoy the film. So he thought, hey, this is my chance. We're going to do a third one. We're going to go back to my original idea. And uh, we're, we're going to do a separate story. No Michael Myers. Yeah. So it, And that, that's where we leave off with Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah. And, and so the other context with that, too, that is that you got to remember that the original Halloween film was the highest grossing independently produced film until Blair Witch. Yeah. So that's a long time, and that movie made a lot of money, you know? And so then Halloween 2, which I don't know how much it made. It made enough, I guess, to, yeah. to talk to have a third one. Yeah, I just I don't think it was uh, received well. So I'll say this before we get into the movie proper. I feel like the bar was set so high that no matter what was going to be made, if it wasn't Michael Myers, it was, it was almost destined to fail because the numbers were never going to be there. And that's a bummer because as odd as this movie is, I think I really appreciate the idea of Halloween as a name and a concept like that. You would get different chances, different stories, different takes as opposed to something like, like how saw controlled Halloween for seven years. And it was the same goddamn movie over and over again. (laughs) Like at least they were like, you know what? Like horror has different shapes. Let's just talk about that. So that also came out 82, which is the same year as, um, was the ET came out in 82 as well. And um, and the thing came out in '82. Yeah. So Carpenter was busy, and the thing we all love it. It didn't do well, and then he's producing Halloween three, which did not do well, <laughs> and and ET came out. I think that same that summer, and so everybody had this love affair with a nice family fun and welcoming alien movie. And it just feels like Carpenter was going in a way different direction. Yeah. And, and and everyone else is like, no, we like the 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 you know the oversized raisin in the basket, you know, yeah. that, that, that touches flowers. Not John Carpenter just killing children. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Um, I, I want to verify that because I, I think that's right. Um, when did that movie come out? We're gonna gonna do a quick Google search here. Um, yeah, eighty two. Eighty two. So yep. so yeah, that because I remember reading some trivia about Halloween three, how the poster was nominated for an award, but it lost because of E. T. And it's like you look at the poster and like the original poster with the three kids walking in the silhouette, that's very Spielbergian and very E. T. like because there was a very much a costume Halloween scene in there. And it just feels like they couldn't win for losing because of that other movie. Yeah. So it, there's a lot that was going against Carpenter in eighty two. He probably doesn't look back fondly on parts of eighty two. 
Yeah, um, and it, it's unfortunate because uh, even this uh, the director uh, Tommy Lee Wallace he worked with John Carpenter. He was the production designer and editor for Halloween and The Fog. So he was somebody, and I think he worked on the art department for uh, Dark Star, which was John Carpenter's first film, his yeah. student film. Yeah. Um, so it, he was longtime friends with John Carpenter, and they tapped him. Him, uh, Deborah Hill tapped him to come in and do this third one, and he was really excited about it. Um, it was really his first. I believe it was his first uh, directing uh, yeah. credit. So he was really excited, and you can see like he was genuinely upset that this thing bombed. Because he put a lot of time and effort into this. Yeah, he did. And and um uh, and just to, to give you guys a little bit also knowledge, he directed the uh, the It TV miniseries. So if you're talking about things that you love now, he was responsible for that thing people love a lot. So and another underrated sequel, Fright Night Two. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna yeah I was gonna yeah. mention that. Um, I don't think I've seen that. Um, probably not. Uh, but this it's like there when you read about like the original genesis of the story is that there was a writer that Carpenter liked and was like, hey, just give us a script around the concept of Halloween. And I appreciate that Carpenter's like, just give us something. I like no, just whatever you want to do. And the guy pitched the script that was a little bit more comic in tone and more mystery in tone, more Scooby Doo. I well, guess is probably the way to put it. The writer was Nigel Neal, who. Um, you being a science fiction fan, it probably knows the name Quatermass, the character. Yeah. It's a long-running BBC. They've done miniseries, uh, movies, uh, radio dramas. It's a long-running character. Uh, probably my favorite reoccurring sci-fi character of all time. Like okay. I love Quatermass in the Pit and the Quatermass Experiment. I love those two films. And I have a few of the radio dramas and stuff. They're fantastic. He was one of, if not the creator of Quatermass. And he also wrote Woman in Black. He did uh, The Stone Tapes, which is a follow-up to Ghost Watch that was made oh, for yeah, the yeah, BBC. Okay. Yeah, 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 he yeah. wrote The Stone Tapes, which huh. is the follow-up. So he was a he was pretty prolific as far as like BBC work and just a British film writer. He worked with Hammer on a few films, like. Uh, so I can see it explains his anti-Irish stance. That's through his whole movie. That explains everything. No, now. I know this is something like. <laughs> I never knew this until like maybe two years ago. I found out it was probably about the time they started putting these out on Scream Factory and there was more uh, special features behind everything. Uh, this whole movie made sense to me. Like, <laughs> I could totally see this as a Quatermass uh, story. Okay. If you just substitute uh, Tom Atkins out for some old British actor, <laughs> like, um, to act uh, pretty much uh, side by side with Dan O'Hurley. Um, I, I could totally see this being like a uh, Hammer sci-fi film or something. Well, and it was supposed to be a little bit more, not innocent, but like not as bloody as, I mean, and this movie is really bloody. It's pulpy because of all the orange juice and all the robots. <laughs> um, and that's what that was, I found out. That was orange juice that they were pulling out. And it's like, it still looked weird because it's orange, yeah. right? So um, I think it was supposed to be more of like a mystery. I think it was supposed to be darker, not so much more lighthearted, okay. but more intellectually dark than okay. just gory. So, because he was always somebody that left a lot to the imagination. Um, a lot of the Quatermass stuff is, has a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft going on. And, and when you it, say that now, I can see how some of this would work if it was if it was kept in that box. But this didn't really stay there. You yeah, know? which like, uh, part of me is happy it didn't, because some of the effects are the most memorable parts of this film. Yeah, but that's taking nothing away from how great of a mystery this is. Like this screenplay is pretty tight for having three people working on it. Yeah, I, I guess ultimately the question though I'd ask, and and 
is and maybe we're jumping too far to the end here is like what was the end game other than just to be an absolute asshole to everybody is what i well, kind of we'll get to it yeah okay. i don't, I don't want to get too okay. far ahead of <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine yeah so um, after he submitted it john carpenter did some rewrites to it and then ultimately it ended up back in uh tommy lee wallace's hands the director <laughs> and he had to do the final revisions to it and uh it's it's funny on the special features there's an interview with him and uh it, he talks about the writing credit when it pops up on screen. And he's like, it's the most undeserved writing credit <laughs> of all time. Like I did nothing mm. on that screenplay. Like it was 60% uh, uh, Nigel Neal, uh, probably 29% uh, John Carpenter. And then 1% me, <laughs> something, something along the lines of that, but he's like, it's the most undeserved uh, credit in, in film history. That's funny. Um, but yeah, I guess Nigel Neal wanted his name off of he it. He did. It got to that point after he saw the final cut of the film, um, just because he was so upset with the violence and the gore in the film. Yeah, but I guess my question is like, did he see a John Carpenter film before then? Like, I I don't know. Yeah. Like, it just, I mean, he like Carpenter. What the, the thing was the one that was really gory. I don't remember when that yeah, came cause, out. Yeah, because I mean, but, prior to that, I mean, Dark Star is a very slow burn. Uh, sci-fi comedy yeah. <laughs> question mark i like the film it's it's definitely a student film um halloween it's it's not that gory no i mean, I mean like it's it's not bad and the fog too fog is basically like a campfire tale yeah i There's, guess i mean it, but um i saw in precinct 13 did that come out before yeah this? i guess yeah. that was pretty visceral yeah so i i don't know i just it's like you're making a you're making a U.S. horror film. You you know people are going to want some blood or orange juice. Yeah. Um. So, uh, but I will say too uh, with the directing, like I'm watching this. And it's like I know this isn't a John Carpenter film, but man, there's times where it felt like a John Carpenter film, and I know it's just because the guy worked with them. And there's like there's and I think also the music made me think this just feels like a John Carpenter film because the music was done by John Carpenter. And that's my favorite part of the whole thing. The the, score is amazing. Yeah, the score is incredible. Yeah, like I was saying, uh, until a few years ago, like when I discovered the Nigel Neal thing, I, you know, I'd I'd catch the movie. um, I I had seen it a few times before I started watching it every October. Um, I I thought it was a John Carpenter film, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's like, hearing that soundtrack, though, and it's like, I mean, you know, it's very synthy, which is Carpenter. That's his wheelhouse. Uh, but he went way more synth with this versus the first two Halloween films, which had the like piano and actual instrumentation. This one was straight synth. But listening to it, it's like, it's like, man, it, I was like, this sounds exactly like Christine. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Well, yeah. even some of the shots of like the junkyard and the mm-hmm. gas station and everything. It, and just the it, car approaching and you're hearing that pew noise. That all yeah, he, it feels like doing. Christine. Yeah. But uh, even uh, Alan Howarth and uh, John Carpenter talk about this. And they took a lot of the same bass lines from like this thing soundtrack because they were working on the two films uh, oh, at that similar makes times. Okay. So it, a lot of those like droning synth sounds in the background of this film, a lot of those same bass lines of the synth were used in both films. Okay. Then that, um, this thing it was like it was making me feel like i I mean i'd seen the movie before but this was the first time in like you know what like 25 years so but the music was making me really feel like a lot of movies i'd seen already and it's it's a great score um but but yeah i I don't know if we want to get into the story proper um because i know sometimes it kind of bounce all over but uh tom atkins is a doctor like dr chalice (laughs) you you see him with the with the white coat on you don't seem to do too much doctrine you know like 
but you know that his wife, his ex-wife doesn't like him. You know that for sure. I don't know why, other than he does make up excuses and drinks a lot. I, I guess that'd be a reason to not like somebody. And he just skips out on his family every chance he gets. <laughs> I like the one time he's at the payphone. He's like, I, I don't know. I just, I, uh, it's a meeting. And he hangs up the phone. He just grabs a six pack off the top of the phone, <laughs> the, the payphone, and walks away. And I'm like, yeah. And <laughs> jumps into some uh, young girl's car that he just met like ten minutes prior, yeah. <laughs> the day, the night prior. So. Um, the beginning of the movie is uh, this guy running for his life from the from Christine, uh, not really, and he, he runs a, a, a you know, I was gonna say graveyard, a junkyard, and he keeps running into these guys in suits that are not like their their faces are blank, they're you don't know what's up with them, and he's trying to get away from them, and he has the the pumpkin mask in his pocket. Yeah, and which I I love the use of the guys in the suits because it feels like Michael Myers. Yeah, they have the same uh, movements and everything that. It, it, it's intimidating without them doing anything. Yeah. And then the, some of their behaviors, which you find out later why that is. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. At first, it's like, that's odd. Why are they acting like that? But I'm also, I guess my question for you at the beginning is like, once you know everything that's going on, how did the simple shopkeep that had like a hardware store full of masks figure out the conspiracy of what was going on to trigger him to run away with a mask? You know, and it, like it just feels like because you find out that he had a store, he had some masks, and he ends up like figuring out like he knows something's wrong. I don't know what triggered him to know that something's wrong. Well, he drove up there to pick up his next shipment of masks, so I he probably just ran into something weird going on. It just yeah. happened to look. It's it's the same way she finds his car later on in the film. She just kind of stumbles onto it. <laughs> Yeah, that so was, yeah, they're just they're just not that good at hiding what's actually going on I, there. I, apparently, that, that's fair. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, he's in the hospital. Uh, Tom Atkins comes over, drinking hand, uh, probably not, uh, and is like talking to him about something. And he has the mask still, but then they put him in a room because he's stabilized. And that's whenever one of the, the men in the suits so, show up and squish his face and crush it. Yeah, like they, he they, sticks his finger in his eyes and then break. It pulls his skull forward. Yeah, yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah. And then as they're like, hey, you can't do that. He just walks out to his car and sets himself on fire. Like, that was, like, very, very effective. Like, all right, well, we're not talking to that guy now. Like, yeah. That was a very harrowing scene, though, because you just see the guy just dousing the gas over himself and just lighting the whole thing on fire. Uh, but then they cut to the next morning, and there's no police tape around the car, but it's just smoking. Yeah, it's still smoldering <laughs> in the parking lot. I love that. It's like, <laughs> we're not going to bother to, like, try to contain this. It's like, no, nah, we're good. Yeah, we'll have a toad in the morning. <laughs> just leave it. Yeah. So, it, uh, so then the, the the daughter shows up, um, and that's that starts the whole thing improper of like what happened to him, and oh, we also got to mention too that the that uh, Tommy Atkins character went to go see his kids for the three seconds they were there, and brought them Halloween masks, but they were the kind of the crappy plastic cheap ones that with the rubber band in the back that you always had as a kid that you hated. Yeah, and the kids are like, oh no no, we got these silver shamrock masks that you know are really good but also really creepy. Um, <laughs> And they're happy about it, but they they showed that the mom already failed. The mom already did better than the dad, and the dad's like, "Nah, guess I'm out. Guess yeah. I'll never see you guys again." Yeah, and then he gets called back into work, so he leaves him again <laughs> uh, <laughs> immediately. Yeah. yeah, so it, it that all kind of sets up. They go to the town of Santa Mira, which uh, that's the city of Lolita, California, which was the Santa Mira. They named that after the original town from the original uh invasion of the invasion body, snatchers. Of body snatchers yeah which is a cool little throwback especially because this film ultimately ends uh being an invasion of the body snatchers film yeah it does and so they go to this town that has very odd rules like they go to the hotel to get a room and the guy there's really nice but creepy 
And, um, and and I also like how Tom Atkins is talking to the girl, and it's like they're like, oh well, he's like, I'll go sleep in the car. She's like, well, you don't have to. It's like, where is this coming from? Like, yeah, this this is probably the worst part of this film. <laughs> like, I I will credit this film as being a pretty solid screenplay. Otherwise, like everything that happens in the film is it's set up in the first act is pretty much paid off in the end yeah um from the stonehenge in the very beginning to you know there's all these little things his alcoholism ends up becoming a really big problem near the end of the film which i'll touch on okay um there's like all these great things that are set up that really inform the uh, the entirety of the story and i i love it and uh but the love story is terrible. I just it just didn't it didn't it's make so sense. awkward. I enjoy it now just because it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's also calling like the medical examiner back at like the hospital or the police station or wherever it is, and he's like, you could tell something was going on between them too. Oh yeah. And he's like, just like yeah, whatever. He's like, I know I got a side piece going on, but yeah, could you just tell me what's going on with the examiner? She's like, I don't know. He's like, oh come on, just do it. It's like okay, Tom Atkins. Like I like that he has this like and pull. the and the other nurse in the beginning too. He's he's all right. Yeah, he's yeah. quite handsy. Yeah. With her. Uh, and yeah, it's just, I, it's, I, I appreciate it. It's Tom Atkins. He deserves everything that, you know, well, that he gets, you know, that's the thing. Like this, this character should be reprehensible. Like I should <laughs> hate this character, but he is so likable in this. It's, yeah. it's crazy. He's just, he's a flawed character that is ultimately at the end of the day, trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And it's, it's very relatable. Maybe not on that level. Like I don't have an alcohol problem. Um, well, now that I have to say it, um, <laughs> but I, mean, like, I will admit I was drinking while watching this movie, so I did not pick up on <laughs> the subject. You have of, to. Yeah. It's it's in the credit beginning credits. Like, please pour a drink now. Yeah, there's a little sound. This is flashing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but like I'm not at the bar at 10 a.m. I'm not leaving my family. Um, I'm not sexually harassing every woman I work with. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which is very bar. topical at the moment. And she shows um, up, and it's just like. Well, why are you here? She's like, well, no, the hospital told me I could, they can fi- I could find you here. I'm like, that's bad. Yeah. If the hospital's like, yeah, our doctor's at the bar and during the daytime. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was like the, 10 a.m. or something. But yeah, Dr. Oh. Chalice would definitely but, fit in with today's... Uh, well, no, he'd be found out today like with everything going yeah, on. Exactly, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like... It, that stuff aside, like he ends up being a pretty likable character and fairly relatable. And, uh, but yeah, that love, that love story comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's just weird. Like at one point she exits the shower and instead of keeping the towel on, she pulls the blanket up and, I, and like, and I'm watching it with, with Mary. She's like, why would you do that to a blanket? Like dry off first. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, then yeah. you got to sleep under it all yeah, night. It's just this like, wet blanket. Terrible. Yeah. And then you then you get, you know, some some new Tom Atkins there too. That was uh I don't know about it, but whatever. I mean, thrill me, you know. But yeah. it was just like it's just, it was weird. I was down with it. Yeah. <laughs> so but then you get there's some other people in the the hotel too. There's a a lady by herself that's there to pick up some masks and then and then the um the 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 family, the the father and the the, the ginger son. Yeah, which like, which are real I I enjoy them. They feel like uh they felt like the other family that was left out of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Or I was going to say uh, uh, um, Clark Griswold's uh, <laughs> brother, yeah. or uh, Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie, yeah, yeah. that's what it was, Cousin Eddie. Um, it felt like his family. 
It did. Um, like even the even his like overcoat, like everything he was wearing felt like it didn't belong in the eighties. Well, oh yeah. That was in, another thing in the in one of the special features. They talked about how much fun it was to make like the most annoying American family they could. <laughs> that, that's well, I think they go. nailed it. Yeah. Uh, but the one lady by herself She's in she's in the hotel room like the little disc off the back of the mask falls off. So you see like a circuit board. And so, of course, your your inclination is to I'm going to poke it with metal and see what happens. And she triggers it and then like like beam of light hits her face or it comes out of her face and it's not great. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's OK. It's OK. And then so then the, the factory shows up and all the guys come out and like I love it how they're pulling her out of the, the room and her face is just messed up and. Tom Atkins sees that he's like, I'm a doctor. And they're just like not paying attention. And he's like loading it into the vehicle. He's like, but I'm a doctor. They're like, no, 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 it's fine. We have the best care at the factory. That's where you want to send all your people. Like, no, we have really good, like the, the mass factory, good medical, yeah. good medical. Um, but the town's weird because like, it, it, like, like sunset, the whole thing shuts down. Yeah. There's a curfew that it's basically the whole town is run by the silver shamrock people. Yeah. Um, which, which is fun. Cause here in Ohio, there's a Halloween town we go to. We try and go every October called Fairborn, Fairborn, Ohio. And the town, the main strip is pretty much owned by this family called Foy's. Okay. And uh, they have about six Halloween stores on one strip. Wow. So the whole town is pretty much Foy's. <laughs> And I always think of this movie when we go down there because it's like the same thing, uh, not not a giant factory or anything. I was thinking more. And along they're the not lines. malicious at all. <laughs> <laughs> like the Longaberger corporate headquarters is that big basket. Like, what if that was like a big basket, and then everything around was just people that work for Longaberger, but they're just all basket people, and it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, you've come to buy some baskets, huh? And it's like, it's, it would be weird. Like, you know, that's the same thing. I, but yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, and fun as opposed to what this place is which it's northern california but it's like it's trying to get like this like it's it's like a midwesterny vibe going on but it's supposed to be like all irish and it's just all like kind of like this the silver shamrock and the family and then and then the one wino guy tells him like oh they're bringing in all these people from ireland or whatever and i find out in the like in the trivia that uh the director did originally want to have all the the henchmen be redheads and i was like that would have been amazing that that would have hit your willy wonka point there (laughs) yeah um so you say the atkins finds the the town drunk because he's also a town drunk and they have a conversation. He figures that things are adding up there, too, and that the factory is where all the answers are going to be. Yeah. And that's where it leads to. Yeah. So they go on a tour of the factory and uh, with that annoying American family. <laughs> and uh, it's in hindsight, you don't realize how much havoc that that one man has done to this country because he sold more masks than anybody else. So, yeah, that guy's the real villain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but then you also find out that the factory, that the whole thing was originally founded upon gags and like novelties. And yeah, and you find he, out that uh, um, Cochran, played by Dan O'Hurley, he's like, he's really famous for selling practical joke gags. Yeah. Like, I, I think he said the fake chainsaw or something. <laughs> I, just, I, don't I don't know what that is. Yeah. But I, I really enjoy the factory stuff in this film. Um, have you ever seen Child's Play 2? It's been a long time, but yeah. Um, you remember they have the toy factory and everything. Yeah. And you really get to see that factory in the beginning. And it's this huge operation. And there's like almost a medical room that has uh, like charts of a Chucky doll uh, on yeah. the wall. And it has like the different parts of the doll labeled and everything. <laughs> and I always said that that is what it's like a child's 
vision of what a toy factory looks like. And this direct, it feels directly uh, similar to it because it's like, this is as a child, like you put on your mask and you think of like where everything comes from and you imagine these big, huge operations like this everywhere. And this and that toy factory just always kind of hit that same spot in my head. Yeah, and it's it was a really effective image because also speak about the masks too, like for a second, like they're the the color and the shape of them make them very distinct and they stand out very much so. And I know that you enjoy them because you have them, you know, printed off on a door in your house. But it's like they're they're very iconic and it's very you can't. I'm surprised that like people that say they haven't seen this movie that they would not have seen these masks. Yeah, you know. Well, apparently the masks were uh, designed by. Uh, Don Post, who is a really famous mask maker, um, it, he was kind of the one that started the real famous Halloween masks that you could buy in okay. bulk. And they had him come in and actually design these three masks for the film. Yeah, and, and I guess so, also that it pays off because that they're yeah extremely iconic. They are, and um, and I guess also too they they were trying to allude that the how the three in the Halloween wasn't necessarily the third Halloween movie, but it was speaking to the three masks and everything else. It's like I don't know if I really got that. Yeah, you I, know? I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the masks are weird. But then it's like you. Uh, they also talk about like they they're what they're, they there's this one room that you walk by and it's like the like oh there's chemicals in there and it's like of course it's where all the bad stuff happens because you're not going to show everybody what's going on. I also like how Atkins and his uh, his new girlfriend get invited along for the tour just happenstance. It's like yeah here's the guy that's kind of poking around town. Let's give him a tour of the factory too. You know, it's just there's these little bits of logic where it's like all right I'm on board because this movie's ridiculous in a fun way, but it's like there was like no like logical gatekeeper stuff going on. It was like, yeah. oh, the guy sold all the masks. Like, what about my friend over here? It's like, all you did was pick up his son's bike uh, when well, he, at the hotel. I'll give it. He didn't want to let on to the guy that sold all the masks that something fishy was going on. So how do you tell him no without, uh, well, still trying to keep up the persona of being this happy-go-lucky mask maker, practical joker, you know? Yeah. So you got to keep appearances up and, invite him like it's yeah. uh, i i took it as just that i tried not to get way too logical <laughs> with the film but that was enough to keep me happy that's fair so yeah that's when you find out like the, there's the, the the dad's car they see which is like again that's the trope of every movie where you have a cover on a vehicle but not quite enough yeah like this whole place all they do is take material and make it into things and you don't have enough material to cover a car yeah that seems a bit odd to me but then she goes rushing towards it and he's like no don't do that and then um i and it, yeah, they end up. Something happens where they get separated later. I they can't remember exactly what happens there. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So you eventually find out that like I guess we can just give give away the reveal is that yeah. Cochran is an asshole. That's really what the the, the reveal is. <laughs> no, he had he has a piece of Stonehenge, which I love that they're taking little tiny pieces of Stonehenge and putting on these chips, and they're putting on the masks, and then when they broadcast their image nationwide, it's going to. It's not quite clear. Like and as a kid, I never questioned it. What's not clear? <laughs> what happens in the masks to the kids? Yeah. Well, um, all right. Let's, uh, let me break this down. So, yeah. Stonehenge, uh, yeah. a, a lot, a lot of mystery behind those. But we can all accept that as being some sort of. I I don't think it was druids because I think it was before all that. It was, yeah. But um, it, we'll just take it as uh, you know, the whole thing of this is that. It's based around Samhain, 
the uh, the Gaelic holiday that was eventually turned into Halloween. And uh, Cochrane explains that back in years and years and years ago, three hundred through three thousand years ago, the hills would run red with children and animal sacrifices to appease the earth, basically. So if we look at Stonehenge as being this ancient uh, mystical power of earth and something that the pagans and maybe the Gaelics would have used to worship that would have been directly related to earth, that the power that this thing had was basically to return you to the earth. Okay. And it would decompose you, which was See, that makes what the more bugs sense. were. Yeah. They didn't explain it, but just having that ancient tradition, not ancient, but old tradition of Samhain being brought into it, that's where my mind took it. I don't think the timelines are perfectly correct, and I don't think that... Uh, the pagans or uh, whatever they were in cl- uh, old Gaelic culture were, I don't think they had anything to do with Stonehenge. So yeah. that's where the logic is kind of flawed. Yeah, because yeah, Stonehenge is in England, I think, right? And, then yeah. the, and he's like Irish and like the whole... It, it, it doesn't line up necessarily right. Yeah, but there's enough there that I'm okay with the idea of that since they're worshiping the earth, that this thing has some sort of power to re- return you to the earth. And... It, that's where the bugs are coming from. <laughs> I don't know. You can tell I'm stretching here. No, I, no, no. I like that. I'm, I'm okay with, and I got the idea that the, the, the rock has properties and, and that they figured out a way to kind of tap into how to trigger it. I, I got all that. I just, as a kid, all I knew is that you put a mask on, you looked at the glowing pumpkin and then you'd rot out. And I figure as a kid, that makes the most sense. And then watching the movie, that doesn't really change my opinion of it, but you see like bugs and snakes. I'm like, do those just get generated in the person's head and it comes out? Because I was reading some stuff online where it's like saying that this was a trigger to activate all like like insects and snakes in the area to attack people. I'm like, I didn't get that vibe. Yeah, I'm just I, like, I like you hear a doorbell so. and you're like, what is it? Snakes, you know, just coming in after you. Like, okay. like, Here I go apologizing for great visuals. Uh, I no, think the, they did it because it was gross and it would creep kids out. Yeah, and it, I it, think that's why they did it. And I and I told you what were my two images? One I thought the whole of Stonehenge was there, which is not true. Yeah. Um. I also liked it how the guys were wearing lab coats, like the the which you also find out by the way that Cochrane instead of having employees, he somehow built robots. Which way <laughs> way to bury the lead there, movie? Like that's way more like you know killing kids. Is like fine, whatever. You know you're a yeah. bad guy, but how'd you get these sophisticated robots that run on orange juice and clock parts? You know, like <laughs> I. Just just don't understand that yeah um and it's like why don't you just slowly incorporate like why don't you westworld the shit out of everything and slowly put these guys in a position of power and be like you know what we should pass the law that every halloween we kill kids that seems way more like to sneaking it in as opposed to getting masks out yeah. there because you can only do that once you can't do that next halloween yeah but it's the ultimate prank it is the prank yeah but i like that, how that's like, again this is this is what i love about the movie is that it feels like a child's perspective of like an evil supervillain. It was like, yeah, this guy would be obsessed with Halloween and pulling off a giant prank. Like that's yeah. good enough. Like, and I'm happy with it because it yeah. feels like Halloween. It's the it ultimate does. trick or treat. And I don't have like, a problem it's the ultimate trick with the bad guy having a plan that doesn't make sense because if you're, if you're this far along, <laughs> then you don't care about consequence. Yeah. And that's, that is rare for a movie to be like, well, in my plan, and you think about it, it's like, oh, the bad guy has some good points. No, there's no good points to any of this other than we're going to kill kids, the hills will run red, and robots? I don't know. Um, but I'm fine with there not being like an overall like, well, you know, because you hear you have villains where it's like, I don't agree with their means, but they have they, I can see why they're angry about something. No, he's just a bad guy, and I'm fine with that. 
Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like the, the visual of the, the head rotting is enough for me. I don't need to over explain all that. I, I did like how the guys were in the, like the, the, the robots were in the, the, the coats, the overcoats, the lab coats, and they're slowly chipping away. Oh, at, yeah. at, like you think there'd be a more effective way to grind that stone down to spread it out, but they're like, just like tap, tap, tap with like little rock hammers, like Andy Dufresne and the Shawshank Redemption slowly working at it. And you see like these holes in the stone, but he's made enough masks to go nationwide that like even just a little bit, I'm like, I don't know if that rock would cover everything, you know, like it just seemed like. <laughs> That, that seemed kind of odd. I like that he did the example of showing, like, you know, the family stuck in the room, which I, that's also, that's a really creepy visual of the metal walls, and it looks like a living room, but you know there's just a cell, and people aren't getting out of that. And that was creepy, and it was a good good image. And also, the music playing while that's going on, the Happy Happy Halloween song over and over again, I'm always a sucker for an upbeat song that doesn't fit the emotion of the moment, because it makes it way worse. Yeah, you know? and I love how maddening that song is. Yes. Like during that scene and the ending with uh that you played in the intro of this episode with <laughs> him just, yelling, Stop it. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't I could think of a better way to start the episode with him being like, No, you can't have it go on. It's a uh it's a ballsy move for a movie, uh, just to end with somebody yelling, Stop it, stop it. Because if you're not enjoying that film, uh that character is speaking for you and the film. Yeah. <laughs> but uh I thankfully enjoy it, so I, I love that ending. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ending is basically, I mean, he, he tries to stop what's going on, and he does, he does stop the factory from producing any more, but because there was this commercial playing through the entire film of, like, make sure you tune at 9 o'clock for the big giveaway, Yeah, and they also show the movie Halloween, by the way, which I think is great that they show Halloween and Halloween, and I'm sure people in the theater are like, I want that. Like, yeah. I'm sure people were just like, no. Like, I want that. You know? Yeah, it's the same thing. Just like, if, if you're sitting down there watching this in the theater in 1982, and you're just being reminded of Michael Myers, and you're not having this, oh, man, I that's... really hope in the new one that they actually have a TV playing Halloween 3, because <laughs> it would just be like the snake eating itself. It wouldn't even make yeah. sense. It would be amazing. Um, but yeah, ultimately, he can't stop the signal. He calls three TV stations. I don't know how that works. Like He's like, you got to get it off the air. You got to get it off the air. And then meantime, kids are wandering into the gas station he's in and clicking the channels, which is yeah. like funny, but also terrifying. Because they're like, no, we got to see what's going on. I like, as crazy as this movie is, and it is crazy, and it is a, it's a fun ride, but there's times where you're just like, what is going on? Because you won't ever get a movie like this anymore. No, and, um, no. Not, not one that's released theatrically that has like a budget. Like this wasn't a big budget, but it was enough because there's a nice like there's a nice filmic look to it. Um, it just well, you know why that was because the director of photography was Dean Cundy. Yeah, it, it, and it's just, I love I love early 80s films the way they look. And I know that's just because I think that's what I grew up with. But that always yeah. feels like films to me. I don't I don't know. It's different. Um, but the the hero saves the day but he doesn't save the world and it's like this it's an interesting like maybe he does maybe but he doesn't really because you know that he can't get the third station to shut it down and that's well, west coast so if it's ever if it's been broadcast over we don't even know when this started on the east coast you that's know true. like like well the, apparently the ending of this um the end credits were supposed to just have children screaming really and the and tommy lee wallace said like no nah, i'd rather i'd rather make it a little wow little bit more ambiguous just so like he may have saved the day he may not have yeah and, uh, but I, could you imagine oh, like that that actually gives me like goosebumps thing that's terrifying yeah um, Something about that image, or not image, but just like because you, you, your brain would build all that. That would be terrible. Yeah. And also, you, 
you never found out what happened to his kids. Like, cause yeah, well, that's what I want to talk yeah. about the setup with uh, his drinking and everything. Cause okay. every time he calls his wife or sees his wife in this film, he's drinking or, uh, or she accuses him of drinking. So finally at the end, when he's discovered what's going on and, uh, he calls his wife and he's, he's basically at wit's end and, uh, just out of breath, just out of energy. And he's trying to tell her to get rid of those masks. And she's like, you've been drinking, you've been and not listening to him, not letting no, them get a word in. That's right. And it all pays off all the random drinking scenes in the film all pays off for this like boy who cries wolf moment. Okay. And it's so heartbreaking. That's like it's right. legitimately heartbreaking. Cause again, he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to save his kids and be there for him, but nobody will believe him because he's been such a terrible person throughout the rest of this That's to a, his family. Yeah, that's, it's, it's really heartbreaking. It's a pretty good prank, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's just so, so this, prank. this, the ending, the ending of this is very just like, it is a gut punch, you know, and you're right. It could be, could be he did okay, maybe whatever, but yeah. And we didn't I, even talk about the revelation of uh, um, um, Ellie turning out to oh, be a robot at the end. They switched yeah. her out, yeah. And yeah. it's like, and that was that was very like that was very like deadly friend weird. I just it was like, it was like, was it needed? I I don't know. Was it kind of sorta? I know I was reading reading about the movie. Roger Ebert actually he didn't really care for the movie. He said that her performance was actually pretty good. He's like, it's like, it's unfortunate that you know at the end she didn't have a head. <laughs> It's like basically he's like she was like one of the reasons to stick around and like you know at the very end she didn't even have a head like I liked I liked that kind of thought yeah um and then one another reviewer said whenever you're lugging a piece of Stonehenge over uh like from from there to California it's like your your movie already kind of it's kind of already stretched it a little bit like I, yeah so yeah well, that, that's why I mean there's a lot of stuff that uh, <laughs> really stretch your suspension of disbelief um and it's. It gets to the point, this movie is so crazy, you just kind of let things go, and you have fun with it. Yeah, and, and I and did that, too. At the end of the day, like that's isn't that why we sit down and watch things? We just want to be entertained. Absolutely. So it, it, definitely, uh, it definitely does its job in that aspect. But even with like Stonehenge, at the very beginning, when uh, her father runs into that gas station for the first time, uh, on the news, they're talking about a piece of Stonehenge missing. Yeah, like everything is set up and paid off in the third act. Like the screenplay is fairly solid for some of the some of the stranger things happening in it. Yeah, uh, no pun intended there. Yeah, no, you're right, absolutely. And I just want to point out here uh, as we're wrapping this up here that the budget was two and a half million at the time and made fourteen million. And they felt that it was a box office failure, and that's why I was saying at the beginning, you well, yeah, you, it's like you make what like five times your budget back, and it's not good enough. Yeah, like well, Bloomhouse Halloween though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Bloomhouse would be like, we'll, we'll take that every day of the week, and they would still be making movies, and everybody now would be happy with this. This is the consider of the micro budget horror film. This was this made money, and but compare it to the first Halloween, it made no money, and I think that's why, like, no matter what you would have put out here, unless it was another slasher film, like, I think I think what also hurt this too was the three in the title. If they would have called it Halloween Season of the Witch. That might have helped it more yeah. versus giving it the three, because then you're, it's implied that there's more Michael Myers coming. Well, I'm I'm glad you got to this point because that is a thing. You have a weird thing where a lot of people are like they shouldn't have called it Halloween three, um, but my argument is this movie wouldn't have gotten made. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like they needed Halloween to sell it. It's the same as we're talking about Star Wars. Like. <laughs> 
they don't want to yeah. take, especially with like Rogue One. Like hardcore Star Wars fans know what Rogue One is. They're gonna go see it. If if I said to my coworker Rogue One, it without the movie having come out already, they would have been like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, you know. So having a Star Wars story or tale, whatever. But it was even called. call it Halloween, but I don't think having. I think the three is what really. I think that's what sunk it. Was like the yeah. the implication that this was the third chapter of Halloween. You know. Yeah. But the but idea that this could have been an anthology, have, okay. it wouldn't have made fourteen million without having the Halloween name on it. That's fair. Yeah. But if if you would have. Uh, taken it off nobody would have thought it would have failed even further it probably wouldn't have gotten made nobody would talk about it like, yeah and it may not have found its audience because this movie has found its audience uh it's still uh rated pretty poorly on most websites <laughs> uh but the general public either hasn't seen this or didn't like it initially and never went back to it yeah it's only horror fans that have really revived the love for this film and have gone back to it uh, and if people have seen it, even though we kind of talked about the entire plot, which uh, good on us to actually get through that kind of point A to point B. That's yeah, pretty impressive. We did it shorter in some of the Twilight Zone episodes we did. <laughs> well, no, just like <laughs> other episodes of Invasion, it was, it's more of like a game of racquetball, like back and forth of like and this and this and this. We actually told a pretty pretty good story there. Good on us. But watch this movie. Like it's just for the sake of have a drink, maybe not as much, not, not have as many as Tom Atkins, but have a drink and just sit back and and smile and laugh and you're right this is a halloween story as in like something weird's going on it's 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 very it it's perfectly good for the season yeah. you know and, between, and no pun intended you know but between the first halloween and this one um hats off to John Carpenter Tommy Lee Wallace and uh um uh who am i missing here uh, was it Deborah Hill as the producer right um, yeah, Deborah Hill. Like between those two movies, they have encapsulated what I think of when I think of the season of Halloween. You know, Halloween one, you have uh, basically the suburbs. You know, like when I walk down my street, I think of Halloween. You know, I think of Michael Myers popping out from behind the shrub. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. or the hedges. Like I think of that. But then when I walk into my movie room with the orange walls and all the little cardboard die cuts and everything and the, the three masks on the door, it, like I, it's Halloween 3. Like, yeah. And they, it, they capture it. And they even hit on the, the uh, tradition of Samhain and everything, like which is ingrained in the culture of Halloween as well. So it just... I don't know between those two movies like that is October for me <laughs> and that's why I love it like it's as simple as that this just made me really want to watch Christine again just because just the soundtrack I I not to get on that I love Christine I think that's a pretty great movie um, it's not a great horror film I think it's just a, a great movie it's, yeah, a, it's a good love story yeah it's great like a screwed up love story and I just, between I just, a boy and his car a boy and his car yeah um and just the soundtrack of this made me really want to watch that and like escape from new york and all the john carpenter stuff uh but just real quick uh, before we put a pin in it I, I thought it was funny that they went they went big for a second in the movie of showing the different towns trick-or-treating but they showed dayton ohio that was a weird choice and i kept watching i kept telling mary i looked at her, i was like please show haddonfield please show haddonfield for a second that would have been so great to be like I, I know that was kind of meta with them showing the movie, yeah. but it would have been great for a second to show Haddonfield, Illinois, with kids trick-or-treating and just be like, guess what? You're not getting that either. That would have been that would have been wonderful to sneak that in there. Well, it's funny is that Halloween tone I discussed uh, earlier, they're right outside of Dayton. 
Oh, okay. So that's that's kind of appropriate. That's awesome. Yeah, okay. I don't think they meant to do that, but yeah, that's where my brain takes it. Um, and I also liked at the very beginning that you saw the jack o' lantern being formed with like computer graphics. It was very, it was very much like Escape from New York for some reason. I don't know why I thought of that. Just because like it's like you hear the synth and you see the lines forming, um, and how that was their kind of way of saying. Yeah, the first Halloween had a jack-o'-lantern in it, and this is one too, but it's not what you think it's going to be. Yeah. And I think they did enough to kind of like let you know. It sets you up for uh, this was uh, going to include technology into it. Yeah. And, and then yeah. just um not that this needs to be remade, but I feel like there's some there there's some good bones to this movie. And yeah. I just uh, don't... And those good bones are Tom Adkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, that's 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 it for Halloween 3. Kevin, thank you for talking to me about that. I, I just, I really wanted to approach this movie, and I feel it is underrated just because it's such an oddball for the series now because it doesn't yeah. fit anything else. Yeah, it, yeah, if you haven't seen it in a long time or never seen it, definitely check it out. Um, I, I think Paul and I were talking a few weeks ago, and uh, I forget what movie we were talking about. And you were talking about at what point when you sit down in a movie and you're expecting something, you have these. Uh, you know, you have these preconceptions of a film when you walk in, you're expecting something and about 20 minutes into the film, you realize you're not getting what you expected. Like at what point do you just kind of get rid of those and be like, okay, like what do you have? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like you need to throw those away. I forget what film we were talking about, but I love that point. It's like at some point you have to forget about what you expected. Like you're not getting that. So like just enjoy what you're getting take a look at it if it if it ended up being terrible it ended up being terrible but don't judge it on the merits of other films like judge this on its own merits judge this as a standalone film um if you expected michael myers um get rid of that and enjoy this as the nice little standalone horror film that this is yeah absolutely so uh but yeah guys you have thoughts feelings um about halloween three season of the witch uh let us know on our facebook page um we also that's the you can find us on facebook invasion of the podcast we have a website invasion of the podcast where there's also links to the blog that i'm now updating regularly thanks to kevin um yeah uh, well because i asked you beginning of the year for the the year of the western and you gave me some good movies and i'm six in so i'm committed um a lot of john wayne so far like just some, muscle through it man no it's you're gonna, other, you're gonna other get other out than of the it. searchers, which I fine. That movie deserves what it gets. You know, people talk about it in high regard, and it deserves all that. It's not, that of, of the six I've watched so far, that's the one I felt kind of flat about. But the rest of the stuff's been awesome. So if you guys want to check nice. out the blog, um, check out like I fell over myself talking about the Magnificent Seven, which that feels like the proto spaghetti western a little bit, where it's yeah. like oh. Like badass posturing, and we're just going to kind of stare at each other a little bit, yeah, and we're going to say badass things to each other. You can see the uh, the lines going yeah. straight to good, the bad, and the ugly, yeah. and like that kind of stuff. And it's just like we deal on lead here, friend. It's like, oh, that's so cool, you know. So read the blog. Um, uh, there's more westerns coming. So uh, and it's we're going to start heading into Italian stuff. It's going to start getting weird. I want to appreciate that. <laughs> oh, it's um, going to get real weird. <laughs> I I was looking. I I because uh our, our one friend uh. Uh, Ryan wanted to get the list of the stuff. So I started going through and I was like, well, I'm going to line these up by production date. And I, it was hard to find some of the stuff because they were released like not in the U S till like two years later. So I started finding like where they were released in Italy or like, you know, yeah. but then I was going through some of the descriptions. I'm like, what am I about to watch? Like, I know El Topo's <laughs> coming and that sounds amazing. Um, that's down the line, but yeah. there's some cool stuff coming. So yeah, check out the blog. Um, also, I'm going to throw out a quick shout out to um, a Talk Without Rhythm podcast, just because I don't know how he does this, 
But El Goro, not only does he do his regular shows, which are amazing, um, he does a 31 Days of Halloween. So if you guys like talking up, listening about Halloween movies, check out his podcast because every day he talks about a new Halloween movie that he's, or sorry, not Halloween, a horror movie that he's not seen. And it's always interesting. And this guy just, I, I don't think he sleeps. I just think all he does is watch movies and talk about them. Because I, I messaged I've him. never seen him sleep. I, I, yeah, right? Like, I messaged him. I was like, I have to write about two westerns and watch a horror movie each week, and it's killing me. I don't know how you do this. He's like, he's like, I've had practice. I'm like, yeah. Like, so, so ch- check that yeah. out. It's it's I've, awesome. I've never seen him sleep with my own eyes. So that's who knows. So, who knows, right? So definitely check that out. Um, but yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll go too much longer here. But I do want to get Kevin's take on this. So here we go. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Before I forget, the the 12 Hours of Terror is actually happening this weekend at the Capitol Theater here in Cleveland. It is 12 Hours of Horror Movies. I know you're going for probably a little bit, right? No, I don't think we're going this time. Oh, I thought maybe you guys were. No, um, we're running a, uh, race right, a race in the morning. We got to be there. We have, we have to be like an hour away at 7 o'clock in the morning and then go running and then rush back here for a dog parade. Yeah, so, and, and then try to stay up for like 8, eight at night till 8 in the morning. Yeah, yeah I'm probably going to crash around 9 o'clock, so I... I feel like i shouldn't spend the money but yeah it's always a great time though so if you guys so. are interested i think there's tickets still available it's a good time i'm not gonna be able to go because oddly enough i'll be watching westerns i have to write about <laughs> my weekends are just like every morning i'm like okay i'm gonna watch a western and then i'm like then i'm gonna think about it for a bit and then i'm gonna write about it it's been rewarding but it does take time so i'm not gonna be able to go but check it out cleveland cinemas 12 hours of terror it's a good crowd to watch horror movies with it's the people like they're respectful but they also have fun like uh when you're watching a scary movie like the descent people are quiet when you're watching a movie like Madman, people aren't quiet and it makes yeah. it much more fun. So And uh, it gets quieter as the night goes on. <laughs> yeah. People are there in their pajamas to sleep it. It's fine. So uh anyway, uh, so there's around this out here. Since Halloween three, Season of the Witch is not a conventional sequel to the Halloween films, I figured I would propose to you that we make unconventional sequels to romantic comedies. So I'm going to give you a title. You wash your brain of what you know about that movie, which is probably very little. And you give me what the horror sequel would be to these romantic comedies. All right. We'll we'll, we'll see how this goes. Like, so here, I'll give you. um, Spoiler. uh, Not big on the romantic comedies. But you'll know the names. Okay. And you don't have to be like, well, that is Matthew McConaughey. It doesn't matter. So I'm going to give you a title. And you're going to give me like. So if I said to you, Four Weddings and a Funeral. What would be the horror sequel with a title, Four Weddings and a Funeral? Uh, off to a good start. I don't even know that film. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. It has Julia Roberts in it. But I'm just saying, like, is this about somebody that has gone to four weddings and each time gets madder and madder that they're not the one getting married and that eventually leads to them snapping and just, like, stalking people and then that leads to a funeral? Like, what is this more like, you know, like a stalker film? Is it like, uh, you know? Well, as you guys were talking about Stepfather uh, last week, maybe each <laughs> wedding uh, leads to a funeral. Yeah, it's like it's not it's the perfect like, family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, <laughs> what else do I have here? I, I had a lot, like, because I, I didn't know how long this would go, but uh, like uh, Chasing Amy. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, what would be a horror sequel with the title Chasing Amy? You don't have to necessarily uh, go with the original. Um, we get a, a mashup between Irreversible. <laughs> <laughs> and that but oh. she dies during the finger cuff scene oh oh no oh no okay uh yeah, yeah. um that's bad yeah um, it would be bad yeah 27 dresses oh, oh man this be someone that this be almost like a like a 
Um, a Tim like, Burton horror film. Where yeah, it's I was like, going to say it's like a remake of Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> like they're putting on 27 dresses? Yeah, yeah or, 27 versions of his uh, mother's dress. Um, I, I like the idea that maybe they, uh, as they go along, they keep getting dresses put upon them and they can't take them off and it becomes like <laughs> like this unwieldy yeah, mess. And that's it's, a very literal take of yeah. the name 27 dresses. <laughs> like, like, I can't breathe anymore. Yeah, but no, we have 12 more dresses to go. Like, don't you want to save your family? Like, I would see, like, a bet. That's what Jigsaw's about. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, the, let's see here. This this one's pretty obvious. Uh, the Cutting Edge. That was the D.B. Sweeney. Like, the that one was about ice skating. Um, but it's a random comedy called The oh, Cutting Edge. Man. What would be the horror sequel? Well, I just watched uh, a film for my Unseen October list. Um, oh, my God. It was called Curtains. And there was an ice skating uh, death scene. So. <laughs> so do you think it could still be about ice skating, but it yeah. could be all about murder? I yeah, like definitely. that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Overboard with... Uh, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that one, that one's actually being remade. But this, but what would like that? That sounds like to me like a, a horror movie at sea. You know, like someone would be like either getting murdered at sea or they get thrown overboard. Um, some kind of creature feature, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, or it could just be Jason takes Manhattan. To <laughs> just have the slasher on the boat. There you go. Um, let's see here. Uh, there's something about Mary. Like there's something about her. Yeah, not quite right. Something's off. <laughs> All the guys she dates go crazy, which is, I think that's what the movie's about anyway. But like the sequel. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> I God, I haven't seen any of these. No, it doesn't matter. Oh. But like, what if this is someone that like she was dating a guy that killed him and then she has 10 days to dispose of his body. And so she's like, how do you lose a guy in 10 days? A little bit here, a little bit there. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I like this idea that romantic comedy titles could actually probably be horror films if you just think about it. Like while you were sleeping, that definitely sounds yeah, like that, a horror film. That's terrifying. Uh, say anything. <laughs> like, like change it to don't say anything, don't say anything. and then you have the uh, best trailer ever. Yeah. Uh, it happened one night. That was a screwball comedy from the thirties, but it's sequel like, to It Follows. <laughs> yeah, it did. It happened one night. I like that. Uh, Moonstruck. That's the one with Cher and um, Nicolas Cage. But so I, Cher is a werewolf in that <laughs> yeah, one. Yes. That's an obvious one. <laughs> yeah. And she uses voice modulation to sing. Uh, that would be terrifying. She'd probably make a good werewolf. I'd like to see that. <laughs> and she has infomercials for her werewolf products. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I had, like, I had like 20 of these. I'm not going to run through all of them. I just, I, I, oh, one last one here. This is the easiest one. Before Sunrise. Oh, man. Well, isn't there a horror film called that already? I don't know. But I, that, <laughs> so, that sounds like either to me like a Live Till Dawn thing or a vampire movie. Yeah, it's got to like be a Like a really movie. shitty vampire movie. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. So, Hollywood, if you're listening, there's some there's some good sequels out there. You just don't know it. Wouldn't that be great if like you were like went to like a red box? You're like, oh, there's a sequel to 27 Dresses. It's like, <laughs> oh, no. You want to play a game? <laughs> In your closet are 27 dresses. <laughs> Let's put them all on. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's going to that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, uh, programming change. I, I had been talking about Creepshow 2. Um, that is being uh, scuttled for Exorcist 3. It was not planned to have two twos and two threes, but whatever that works out. Uh, I'll have a guest on next week. We're going to be talking about Exorcist 3. Um, that's the one that kind of tries to rewrite the course of the Exorcist series because two, we'll talk about two, I'm sure, a little bit next week but two is weird in three i think three brings it back and it's been a long time since i've seen three and there's one scene in particular that 
I can I can see the video clip of it and it terrifies me. So yeah. I I gotta tell you my little anecdote with that movie because I was I was kind of upset. Uh, I can't do that one just because um, the first time I tried to watch that the DVD that I got of it started skipping in the scene where he's like, oh, he only kills the person with names that begin with the letter K. And obviously my name's Kevin. So I was like, it, but the DVD started skipping and I couldn't get past <laughs> that scene. I was like, so I, I returned it. I think I bought it used from the store I worked at. So I returned it, got another one. Same thing happened on the second one. I think I ended up renting it from like Blockbuster the second time. So I don't know if there was a defect in the manufacturing of them, but it, it ruined me. I was like, maybe I'll take a break and come back to this later. <laughs> And uh, I finally went back to it and was able to watch it. And I'm that's, a huge fan of the film now. That's but, really funny. Yeah, now it, it just it creeped me out so bad. Uh, just, I heard a story from Dan Rather, not from him personally, not that I've talked to him, but <laughs> when he was younger working at a radio station like the middle of nowhere in the, like, the West, he would uh, go put on a record of a sermon and then go down to a local diner and get like dinner and he'd let the record play. And as he was like having dinner, he like had dessert and was like like, flirting with the waitress and so he was late getting back to the radio station he gets back in and the record um started skipping when the the the, the tell like not televangelist but the person on the record was like go to hell and they kept saying go to hell oh, but, he, but he's like that's bad but then you realize it was only about two minutes into the record so this whole station played just it's saying go to hell for like an hour on this radio <laughs> and it's like that's that's a great story to be like you're just driving like the, you know, in the west like in the desert at nighttime you flip the stations and you just hear that over and over again I would just I would hightail it out of wherever oh, I God. was. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that, that's that's going to do it for us this week. Again, thank you, Kevin. Um, if you guys like him, I give a recommendation of where you can hear him. Additionally, uh, it is the Twilight <laughs> Show, Twilight Zone show that we do, um, Strange Highways, which I, I know I've mentioned on here. Um, and we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about a Christmas episode next time. So go from Halloween straight into Christmas. Yeah, but we're going back to Halloween the week after that. Yeah. So definitely check it out. We're doing a, a kind of obscure film. Yeah. Encounter more with obscure, the more obscure than uh, the Halloween three. So yeah. Um, but yeah, that's gonna do it for us this week. Yeah. Um, just pay attention for the special giveaway at the end. Happy Happy Halloween, 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 Happy Happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Happy Happy Halloween, 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 Happy Happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween.